Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Shooting the Sports Podcast with Ebony and Ivory. My name's Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name's Nick, and I'm the Ivory. Welcome into episode 12. And on today's episode, we're going to be previewing the NBA draft, which takes place tonight. We'll be reviewing game four of the Stanley Cup Finals, as well as the finish to the NBA Finals. But first, let's touch base on some current news that's been happening recently. Uh, First, I want to acknowledge the passing of Caleb Swanigan, former NBA player who died at the age of 25 from, and this has been really messing with me all week since I've heard about this. He died at 25 years old from natural causes. Now, I don't know how it's possible for an individual being 25 years old to die of natural causes, but my thoughts and prayers go out to him and his family. And that's just very tragic, sad news um, that I found out this week. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a standout in college. Um, overall, great guy from all his teammates, coaches, everything. You know, prayers with his family. Um, seems like a lot of people are passing. I know uh, two former uh, NFL players also passed away. Uh, one of my favorites, because I'm from uh, Maryland, Tony DePuce, Saracusa passed away at 55. Um, yes. Just an incredible guy. Uh, was w- responsible for the reason Ray Lewis became the man he did in the NFL. So thoughts and prayers with his family as well. He also was a sideline uh, sideline analyst reporter for quite a few years too. So yeah, definitely yes. thoughts and prayers go out to his family as well. Another thing that I saw this week that I, I believe it ha- actually happened yesterday, United States swimmer Anita Alvarez was saved by her coach, Andrea Fuentes, after she fainted in the pool during her routine at the World Aquatic Championships in Hungary. Uh, now, John, as a former swimmer, you know, I, I'm not sure if you heard about this, first of all, but as a former okay. swimmer, I was really curious to ask you, have you ever personally experienced anything like this during your time as a swimmer um, or anybody on a team of yours? Have you ever experienced anybody, you know, fainting in the pool during, yeah, during say, a swim? I've never experienced it. Um, we actually used to have a running joke that the easiest job in the world was being a lifeguard at the Olympic pool or at a swim competition. So, um, no, this is definitely the first time I've heard about it. I'm sure there were some some uh, underlying factors when it came to that, but um, ho- hope everything's okay. Yeah, and it sounds like, um, so she was part of, they call it artistic swimming, and I'm not very familiar with it. Maybe you can shed a little bit more light on it. Um, I'm assuming it's, from what I understand, it sounds like it's kind of like the the team's, uh, what's the... Synchronized swimming. Synchronized swimming. Thank you. Thank you. I, yes, it's very, it's very similar to that. But it's more, but it's more individual based. Um, Correct. And a art, like I said, an artistic style of swimming. So, yeah, uh, she's okay uh, from what I've read. So, good news there. Uh, but yeah, very scary. They said she just fainted at the end of her routine and was floating down to the bottom, basically lifeless. And her coach said she looked around and noticed that. No lifeguards or anybody was jumping in to save her. So she dove in fully clothed and pulled her back up to the surface. And she's now recovering. All her vitals are good. Um, so I definitely want to give a big shout out to that coach for her heroic act because that's that's amazing. One other thing on that, and I know a lot of you know us for our podcast. Some of you know our our sense of humor. I just want to know, one time a lifeguard is needed at a swim competition. Where was the lifeguard? That's That's what I want to know. Yeah. Was that person even trained? I mean, it, you see somebody floating to the bottom. I don't care if they're an Olympic swimmer or not. If they're floating to the bottom, you need to jump in and save them. 
So I guess that brings us to our uh, first topic, Nick. Uh, where do we want to start? We're covering NHL, NBA, the draft. Where do you want to start? I think we'll, we'll start off with what happened last night. Uh, we'll just start off with the Stanley Cup Finals. Game four last night, Avalanche took it in overtime, 3-2. to two. <sighs> They are now leading the series 3-1. to one. You know, I, I called Avs in seven at the beginning. Um, they're off to a pretty good start there. Game five is going to be Friday night in Denver. So the Avs are going to look to to lock it up at home. But the uh, the Avalanche, they took game four, like I said, in overtime on, uh, I think it's Kadri, Kadri uh, his crazy goal with 7.58 remaining in overtime. If you didn't see it, he received the pass from Lakinen uh, and then shot a wrister that hit Valevsky's shoulder and it ricocheted up to the top of the net where it got wedged between the net and the inner bar of the actual goal itself. It was an absolutely crazy shot. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you Google it, YouTube it. It is pretty awesome. It was kind of a kind of a cool shot. I didn't notice it at first. It really gave me flashbacks to 2009 when Patrick Kane scored the game-winning goal in overtime of Game 6, which... Heartbreaking for Tampa Bay fans, though, because I, yeah. I wanted Tampa Bay to win that. They had a they had a great game the other night. Came back, it was two one. I thought Tampa was going to take this one, and yeah, yeah, it, it's rough. It's rough. Um, but yeah, like I said, it was you know it was one of them goals, and you know their coach said something later on that he didn't think it should have counted. Not sure why, because it was a clean goal. He shot it right past the goalie. It just happened to get wedged into the net. I don't know if they have a ruling for that. Um, like I said, it really reminded me of Patrick Kane's goal. You know, he shot one right under the right under the legs of the goalie, and it stuck underneath the net, and nobody seen it go in. You know, my dad actually said he was with some friends watching that game, and he was the only one out of everybody that seen it go in. He said he jumped up and he was celebrating, you know, because we just won the cup, and everybody's looking at him like, "What are you doing?" And it was kind of the same thing last night. If you look at the crowd in Tampa, none of those fans knew that puck went in. They were all banging on the net, thinking that the goalie saved it. And I watched that replay back and watched the crowd multiple times. Not one person in that crowd had a reaction that they just lost the game. Not a no, single person. They, uh, they all were ready for it to reset for a faceoff. Yeah, and they were all banging on the glass because we were, or the the Avalanche were poking at the poking at the goalie and messing with him. So all the fans were banging on the glass, you know, getting upset. And Colorado just started celebrating. But I do want to I do want to give a big shout out to their goalie Darcy Kemper. He got one of the assists on the game winning goal, and that's significant because he's been playing for ten years. He's played in three hundred and thirty one games in his career, including the playoffs. That was only his fifth assist ever, and his first career playoff assist. You don't see goalies get many no. assists. He fired no. that puck to Lakinen, who basically one timed it over to Kadri. And he took it right into the net and scored the scored the game winning goal. Very impressive after the performance in net that Kemper put out last night to to get one of the assists on the game winning goal. That should be cherry on top. I hope he got first star of the game. I hope he got the game ball, game puck, whatever they give out in hockey. Um, he deserved it. He definitely deserved it. And you know, it's just one of those things where Tampa Bay. They were the favorite for, for a while coming in, and they were... And it's, look at their offense. Their offense has been pretty much shut down. I mean, that's what yeah, they were known for. I, I think the main thing with them right now is their power play has just been terrible in the Stanley Cup Finals. They're just one for 14. Um, they were eighth during the regular season, 
And in the playoffs, they're ninth out of 16 teams. You know, they were eighth out of 32 teams, and now they're ninth out of 16. So, you know, the Avs power play has been the complete opposite. They've been on fire in the postseason, 34.5%. You know, they score a goal, and that's up to 46% in the Stanley Cup Finals. So almost half the time that they're on a power play, they're scoring a goal. So Lightning definitely need to step that up. Um, They need to score some power play goals. They need to stop the Avs on the power play. But, you know, the Lightning are, they're back-to-back champions. So I don't think they're just going to go away easily. They won't. So I guess my question to you then is, are you still sticking with Avalanche in seven? Do you think Tampa Bay makes a comeback? Or do you think it's going to finish off a little bit earlier? No, I I think, you know, I, I think the Lightning know what they have to do to come back. And I'm still sticking with my original prediction and saying Avs in seven. I think the Lightning are going to pull it together. I think they're going to win a couple games. But, you know, game seven, if that if it gets that far, it's going to be in Denver. So, you know, it's still going to be tough to win three straight games for the Lightning. Two of those are going to have to be on the road because game five is tonight. Or, yep. um, sorry, game five is Friday in Denver. So it's going to be tough. And, you know, just to show you how tough it's going to be, teams with a 3-1 lead in a best of seven hold an all-time series record of 298 and 31, which means over 90% of the time, the team leading three to one wins that series. And in the Stanley cup finals, that record is 35 and one. So only one time has a team blown a three, one lead in the Stanley cup finals. And that was when the Edmonton Oilers came back and won it in 1990 led by Mark Messier. Well, so we're going to see if history is made this year. Not only will they make history and be the first team since since I was born. I mean, I was born a few months before that happened. So basically in 32 years, you know, will it be the first team to do it in 32 years? If they do, they're not only going to, you know, break that record and, and, and make that history, but they're also going to have the first three-peat in a major sport since the Lakers in 02. So... Shout you out know, Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. Shout out those two. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, like I said, I think the lightning can, I think they're going to at least win tonight or excuse me, win Friday night, but man, it's going to be really tough for them to, for them to win two on the road and three straight against a team that's playing really, really well right now. Moving on to last Thursday night, NBA finals, the golden <laughs> state warriors won their seventh championship in franchise history by beating the Celtics in six games. And John, now, well, I wasn't quite right on my game six clay prediction. I was spot on in calling the Warriors in six games. You were, and I know you've been waiting all week to talk about this. I have been waiting very patiently to talk a little shit. But first, I want to say hats off to Boston. Um, You know, they've made the conference semifinals four out of the last five years. The only year that they didn't last year, they got beat by Kevin Durant in Brooklyn, which is nothing to hang your hat on. Um, Boston's going to be around for a long time. They have a great young core. Brad Stevens is calling the shots. Celtics are going to be just fine. And I just want to say, I think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown proved that they can play together and win games. You know, there's no shame in losing, no shame in losing the NBA finals to arguably the greatest trio ever. You know, it's hats off to Boston this is not the last time we're going to see Boston in the NBA Finals. I can promise you that. Brad Stevens is... Jason Tatum's on that team. Yeah. Brad Stevens is a smart man. I think he's going to keep those two together, and he'll be able to put together 
an even better team in the coming years. But let's get to the team of the hour, the Golden State Warriors. Big shout out to their organization for doing it right. You know, I I just want to say I have nothing against players teaming up, forming super teams, whatever you want to call them. I have nothing against that. I mean, you grow up playing on the AAU circuit and high school ball against some of these guys. You grow up and become friends with these guys. Everybody wants to play sports with their friends. You know, I always wanted to play on the team with my friends. I, mean, I, I don't blame them for that, you know, but the Warriors drafted eight out of the 15 guys on their roster. You know, that's pretty impressive. Then they traded D'Angelo Russell to bring in Wiggins, who's really shined in their offense lately. They just, they built this team their way and they stuck to their plan. And, you know, they really showed what it means to, quote, stick to the process. (laughs) 100%. Not that I'm trying to take a stab at the Sixers or anything, but, you know, I feel like the Sixers gave up a little early on their process, you know, when they... It didn't work for them a couple times. They gave up a little too quickly. Um, but the Warriors, they stuck to their guns, and they really proved that that they know how to build a team. You know, Not only that, but game six, the Warriors just shot lights out. They hit 19 threes as a team. And if you would have told me that the Warriors had 19 threes in game six and that Clay would only have two of them, I would have probably said you were nuts. Honestly. Oh, no way did I think Clay was only going to have two threes and that team was going to hit 19. That's never in a million years. But that man, Wardell, Stephen Curry, had six of those threes en route to winning his first finals MVP, finished game six, 34 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, in all-time finals performance. Can we also just give a shout-out to the man that built that team? Like I understand Steve Curry's the coach and everything, but... Mr. Brown himself, he's the one who, or I'm sorry, uh, Mark Jackson, he's the one who built that team. Mark Jackson, yeah, he, he, you know, he started it. I can't remember what the the guy's name is now. That's that's calling the shots. They they talked to him during the during the post game celebration. But yeah, shout out to those two. They have, you know, Mark Jackson, like you said, he he got the party started. He drafted Stephen Clay, I believe he drafted Draymond as well. Really got that team into a, you know, to become a cohesive unit and pretty much built them into what they are now. And yeah. And now their current GM, he's doing, he's doing a great job as well. You know, they have an MVP caliber player. They have a, one of the best defensive players in Draymond Green, kind of a Swiss army knife. And then Clay Thompson, amazing shooter, great defender. That organization just done, done amazing. Now that we've talked about this amazing team, this dynasty, and I know it's been talked about, but I'm curious to your opinion. Where does Steph Curry rank on your all-time list now? You know, I've thought about it. I thought about it a lot after they won. And I think the one thing for me that he was missing, and everybody says, oh, well, he had, you know, he had KD win the finals MVP on him a couple times. And then Iggy won it the one year, which I still think Steph should have won it, but I think I, for me, the top three is is the same and isn't going to change anytime soon. It's Michael at the top, Kobe number two, LeBron number three. For me, that's I, I that top three is not going to change no matter what LeBron does in the last few years. 
in my opinion, he's never going to he's never going to pass Kobe on the all time list. Okay. Other people okay. might have different opinions. Fine. But for me, it's Michael, Kobe, LeBron. And then I have Steph at number four, Magic at number five. Ooh. I've always had Magic Johnson as my number four all Ooh. time. And now, and, and this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but now I put Steph over Magic. And call it recency bias, call it whatever you want, but the fact of the matter is Steph Curry is the greatest shooter we will probably ever see and has so much more to his game than that which to me makes him one of the top five players of all time. Now, if you're talking to someone who's never heard of basketball before and you wanted to show them, say, the Mount Rushmore of the NBA as a way of saying, you know, these are the four guys who made basketball what it is today. My opinion, you have MJ because, I mean, let's face it, it's, it's MJ, right? You're always going to have MJ on your Mount Rushmore. Always, 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 always. It's going to be magic next to him. Because Magic reinvented what a position means in basketball, being a 6'9 point guard that can pass better than anyone on the planet. He reinvented what the true meaning of a position in basketball. He basically started the positionless basketball trend. LeBron James would be my number three because of how much hype he had coming in at such a young age. And he not only exceeded that hype, but he's still playing at that level, at an MVP level at 37 years old. No, we're never going to see anything close to what LeBron was and is and ended up being. As far as, like I said, the hype coming in out of high school to now, we're never going to see anything like that ever again. And fourth, I put Steph on that Mount Rushmore because of his shooting ability and how he transformed the game in terms of how the three-pointers looked at. You know, you have kids coming in the gym nowadays that, they don't even go in and go for a layup or shoot a free throw or a short jumper anymore. They go straight to half court and try to jack up a Steph Curry three-pointer. You know, some people might call it good. Some people might call it bad for the game, but I think he transformed the game and he was somebody that, that made basketball what it is today. You know, I, yeah, I don't put Kobe on my Mount Rushmore, but he's still the second greatest player of all time. But if oh. we're talking people that, that made basketball what it is today, I think MJ outshines Kobe in that aspect. They were essentially the same type of player. Um, so obviously Jordan would get that nod. And then, like I said, it's going to be LeBron, Magic, and Steph on that Mount Rushmore. So I know some people might might not like that, the thought of having Steph on a Mount Rushmore over Kobe Bryant. But those are my reasons, and so, I that's mean- how I feel about it. I can I can make the argument, and you're talking to one of the biggest Kobe lovers of all time. Literally shed tears when the man passed away. R.I.P. Um, I, I I definitely understand the argument for the Mount Rushmore. For me, you know, I feel like I would still have Magic ahead of Steph simply because of how stacked that team was. And I'm not saying the Warriors aren't stacked. Obviously, they are. Their rings have proved it. But I meant just from an individual standpoint of how stacked they were. And Magic still was leading the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have no argument if somebody has Magic over Steph. Like I said, Magic for the longest time was, in my opinion, number four all time. But there's something about the shooting ability, 
with the rest mixed in with the rest of his game. I don't know. I, I can tell you one thing. I think even more so than Jordan versus LeBron or, you know, Jordan versus Kobe in their primes. I think Steph versus magic would be one of the best matchups of all time. Oh, 100%. Watching the two of them go head to head in a game would be one of the greatest joys ever. So I who think- do you have? Who would you have? First to 11, regular baskets are one points, three or two points. Who do you got? Oof. I, I still have Steph. If, if mm. we're going by all ones, if we're going by all ones, I might take Magic. But if you're giving extra points for three-pointers, Steph Curry has to be the guy. Yes, Magic's length is going to be a problem for him. Yes. But Steph is quick. I think he's a lot quicker than Magic was. You know, I obviously didn't get to watch Magic play in his prime, seen tape. I I personally think Steph would be quicker than him, uh, both in their prime. Magic's Like I said, Magic's length would be a problem, but Steph's shooting ability is just, it's too good to overlook. You know, I think he's good enough at defense that Magic's not going to be able to just bully him in the paint. So but, for me, one-on-one, I've got to go Magic just because of his sheer size. Like, he can drive on Steph yeah. almost every single time. Yeah, like I said, though, I think Steph's defense is good enough to keep Magic from bullying him under the basket. I think Steph would put up enough of a fight. He can. He's a good enough on-ball defender, and, you know, he can steal. He can get in there and get steals. Averages a couple of game, I think. So, yeah, I think I think that would be... I think that would be, I've always thought that that would be one of the best matchups of all time. You know, all, everybody's always talking about, oh, LeBron versus Jordan, Kobe versus Jordan in their prime, who you got? I no. I want to see Jordan versus Kobe in the prime. I'm not I would to love you. to see Jordan versus Kobe in their prime. But Magic versus Steph, end the argument once and for all. I think everybody still knows at the end of the day, though, that it's Jordan over Kobe. I love Kobe Bryant. I also shed tears when Kobe died. But I have yet to meet, I've, I've, I can't say I've yet to meet, I've met a very few people in my life that have said Kobe over Jordan and actually meant it. So at the end of the day, they could play one-on-one, but even if Kobe wins, does that really prove that he's better than Mike? I don't no, think so. No, no, no. I mean, I think I could make the argument to why I would take Kobe over Mike in a one-on-one, but that doesn't change my opinion. Well, on, depends on- though. What quarter is it? Because if it's fourth quarter, I'm taking Kobe Bryant over anybody. Oh, it's always fourth quarter. It's always fourth quarter for Kobe. But if we're talking a playoff series, game six, I'm taking Michael Jordan. Ooh. I'm taking yeah, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, never, Michael Jordan never saw a game seven. Never saw a game seven in the finals. In the finals. And we, we've always had this discussion, like, who would you take to shoot the final shot at the end of a game? And you have even gone on record to say you would take Kobe over Michael. Yes. Yes. If I needed a basket, I would take Kobe over Michael in the fourth quarter. If I needed a three-pointer, I would take Steph Curry over anybody in history. Well, let's stay with um, let's stay with the NBA theme and get to my personal favorite day of the year. Yes, even over my birthday. I, I love this day. It is like Christmas morning to me. I always wake up the morning of draft day feeling like it's Christmas. 
Uh, did not wake up tired this morning. I uh, felt refreshed, ready to go. I was for excited to get know. into this. For those who don't know, that is the running joke we have in our friendship that the NFL draft or the start of fantasy football season is like my Christmas and the NBA draft is next Christmas. Yes, I've um, I've been watching the NBA draft religiously since I think I was 13, 14 years old, um, probably even before that. But I have, when I was younger, middle school, high school, I actually used to, I used to write down every draft. Now I can just, you know, I could type it in my phone or I could just screenshot it off of a website. But I used to write down every draft, kept it in a notebook. Every year I'd go back and be like, oh, so, you know, this team drafted so-and-so last year. So I've always been very invested in the NBA draft. I follow a lot of these guys from their high school days uh, up until, you know, through their, throughout their NBA careers and even some guys that don't make the NBA that go overseas follow a lot of their careers as well. But like you said, it's like Christmas for me. So I'm going to jump right into it. First overall pick tonight is the Orlando magic. And I'm going to be honest with this one. I had, I had my choice at number one put on here. Uh, I had it written down. Then I changed it. And then I put it back to the original pick. (laughs) I don't know who's going number one tonight, but what I'm very confident in saying is, out of the two players that I had going number one, whoever doesn't go number one is going to go number three. One of them's going number one. One of them's going number three. I think number two is locked in. We'll start with number one, though, the Orlando Magic. I have them taking Jabari Smith forward out of Auburn. He's 6'10", 220 pounds. He averaged about 17 points, seven boards, two assists, shot 43% from the field, 42% from three just under 80% from the line, from the free throw line, excuse me, a steal and a block a game. A lot of people have him as a Michael Porter Jr., Jaron Jackson type player. I've even heard a Kevin Durant ceiling for this player. Um, I don't see that personally, the Kevin Durant ceiling, but he fits a need. You know, the Magic needs scoring. He's going to come in and he's going to be able to score right away for them. I don't know if he's going to be the you know, primary dominant score that they really need. I felt like Paulo Bancaro should go here personally. I think that's a better fit for the magic. What's it? No, I I really don't because the magic need a primary score that they can rely on over and over and over. I don't personally see that for Jabari Smith, but I know Paulo can do that. I know he can put the team on his back. He can carry the load for the team. Personally, I think the best fit for the Magic would be Paolo. However, talk about Jabari Smith going number one is too loud to ignore. Everybody has been saying it's Jabari Smith one. I've been reading it for weeks. It changed. Apparently, it changed this morning to Paolo. But I guess it came out. um, Adrian Wojnarowski said it's Jabari, Chet, Paolo locked in. For so, me, I we'll would see. go Smith just because I feel like, and I want to be very careful when I say this, when I say a once-in-a-generation type player, but I more mean body type. Because when Kevin Durant came out, it was he's too skinny, but the man could play multiple positions, and that was the key thing. I've got nothing against Paolo. I think he's great. I watched him kick our butts, shout out Tar Heels, more than once. But... I feel like there's other players who can do what he can. Maybe not to his level right now, 
but there are other players who can do. I don't think there's many people, if anyone in the draft tonight, that can do what Jabari Smith can do with his size. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's probably the best shooter in the draft. He's a big forward, like I said, 6'10", 220, who can step out and shoot the three. 42% from the three-point line in college. That's that's a pretty good number. He's probably going to be able to guard three through five in the NBA. You know, but the the one thing is, if what you're saying holds true, he could potentially hit that Kevin Durant ceiling. Now, 100%. the reason I don't think that's a possibility is because he just doesn't have that shot creation ability. He's not a guy that can go out, handle the ball like a guard, create separation, get his own shot. I read a stat that he he hit a very high percentage of difficult shots, which are categorized as a defender being, I think it was three feet or less away from you, which is a, you know, that's basically a hand in your face, three feet or less. Um, he hit a high percentage of those shots and it was saying that his lack of separation was overshadowed by him hitting these shots. Now, I don't think that's a sustainable number hitting a high percentage of contested shots. So, you know, if he can improve his handles, I think, yeah, he has that potential to be a poor man's KD, you know, with a little bigger of a body size. But to to say he's got a Kevin Durant ceiling, he's really going to have to dramatically ha- uh, improve his handles and his, you know, just his ball handling in general. But the Orlando Magic could potentially, if they draft Smith, they could have a starting lineup of Cole Anthony, Gary Harris, Jalen Suggs, who they just drafted, Jabari Smith, and they have Wendell Carter starting at their five. Him and Mo Bamba kind of take turns starting and, and playing the center role for them. But they just drafted Franz Wagner. They got Chuma Okiki, RJ Hampton. All these guys are 20 years old or less. They have a great young group. Give the Magic some time. I think, uh, I think whoever they draft here, whether it be Paolo, whether it be Jabari, I think the Magic are going to be just fine. Um, they might not be a playoff team next year, but well, then let me ask you this: Give them three years. Heard it before. Looking at their roster now, which one do you think they need? Not based off talent or ceiling, but which one do you think they need? They need Paolo. They need Paolo. They need a guy. They have no one on their roster right now that can be a primary scorer and put the load on his back, or excuse me, put the team on his back, carry the team load. And, and just go out and score and get a bucket whenever the team needs. Paolo can do that. I'm not convinced that Jabari can be that guy. He might prove me wrong. I'm sure he will. But for me, the need is Paolo. Okay. Number two pick, Oklahoma City Thunder. I got them taking Chet Holmgren, center out of Gonzaga. Seven foot, 195 pounds, skin and bones. 7-6 wingspan, average 14 points, just under 10 rebounds, just under 2 assists, 3.7 blocks per game last year for Gonzaga. Shots. I actually had to double t- uh, do a double take on this, on this stat. He shot 73.7% from the field, Jesus. 39% from 3, and se- just under 72% from the free throw line. But this man shot 74%. That's, that's, that's a very high percentage. I, I don't even think Zion's was that high. And Zion basically dunked everything, you know. So that's very impressive for him. But he's just, he's a big, 
tall, lanky center. You know, I I kept seeing the comparison that he's a better defensive Porzingis. Not quite as big as Porzingis in terms of body size, but Porzingis is 7'3", Chet's all of 7 foot, big long wingspan. The Thunder need three things. They need shooting, size, and rim protection. Chet literally checks all three of those boxes for them. You know, since his since his video of him crossing up Steph Curry went viral, his stock has just went through the roof. You know, he was supposed to be the number one pick up until a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, and then all of a sudden it was Smith. But for two years, it was Chet Holmgren, number one pick. You know, despite being his, despite being so skinny, just 195 pounds at seven feet tall, that's that's very skinny. But despite that, you know, he's an elite shot blocker. But high injury concerns because of that size, you know, it it's going to be tough. I I have a hard time saying that he's going to be an all star and he's going to be well. That's you know, what I want around to ask for a while. You, where, do you have, where do you have his ceiling? I think his ceiling is unlimited, honestly, but he has to stay healthy first. Let me put it to you this way. If he added, if he added 30 pounds of muscle, that would put him at seven feet tall, 225 pounds. That is the same size as Mo Bamba. Now Mo Bamba is pretty small for a center. So, you know, you, you've been on a, a college weight training program before. Yes. You know how difficult it is to add 30 pounds of muscle. Uh, it's almost impossible. Exactly. So if he adds 30 pounds of muscle, he'll be the size of Mo Bamba, who is by himself a small, thin center. So that just shows you how small he is. Imagine Mo Bamba and Chet Holmgren on the same team with that size if he got that up. Holmgren. No, no, Mo Bamba plays for, um, Mo Bamba plays for the Magic. That oh, was, no, no, I know that. I'm just saying if they yes, were Yes, the if the Magic team. end up drafting him, him and Mo Bamba on the same team, that would be unreal. Absolutely unreal. Well, even with the Thunder, though, they just drafted, I think it's Alexiev Pukachevsky. He is a seven-foot small forward. He plays the three, some four form, and small ball. I guess seven-foot's not small, but he's a thinner seven-footer as well. So they're going to have two, assuming they draft Chet, two rail-thin seven-footers on their team. They're going to be easy to push around, but these guys got some game. And, you know, to go back to your question, where do I see his ceiling? I honestly, if he can stay healthy, I think it's unlimited. It was the same as Porzingis. You have a seven foot three guy who can get to the basket, who can step out and shoot the three. You know, Chet can defend. At the very least, I think he's going to be a Ben Wallace type shot blocker defender. I think that's fair. Maybe maybe he's not going to bully people, nothing like that. He's not going to push people around. But in terms of the numbers and protecting the rim, I think at the very minimum, he is a Ben Wallace type player. But his his shooting ability and his scoring ability and his his ball handling, I think he has potential to be in his own category. They call Porzingis the unicorn. I think Chet will legitimately be a unicorn when it's all said and done. Number three pick. Houston Rockets, like I said, if he doesn't go number one, I think he's going number three. Paolo Bancaro, forward out of Duke. Carmelo Anthony, Ben Simmons, Kump, um, 6'10", 250, 17 points, just about eight rebounds, three assists. 
shot 33, almost 34% from three, a steal and a block a game. I think he's got the highest upside in the draft. No, it's not the Duke bias talking. <laughs> so I like the Carmelo comp. I, I really do. Um, he can grade his own shot. He can shoot. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be that LeBron James or, you know, that next all-star, all-star, if that makes sense. But I definitely like the Carmelo comp. I, I definitely see that being right around his ceiling. Yeah, they're both they're both big mid-range guys. They like to make their living in the mid-range. They have just an array of moves. You know, they they both got a bag. And they both get in their bag every game. And, you know, I, I also say Ben Simmons because Paolo grew up as a guard. He hit a growth spurt, and next thing he knows, he's 6'10". So, yes, he might be a 6'10 forward, but he spent his whole life playing guard and handling the ball. So he didn't just lose his ball handling. So in terms of his ball handling and just the way he can move around on the court with the ball at his size, that's where that Ben Simmons comp comes in. I think if Ben Simmons could shoot, it would be a, an extremely accurate comparison. I, again, not the passer that Ben Simmons is. is good passer. Not the passer Ben Simmons is, but he took over the scoring load for Duke last year and still averaged over three assists a game. So he can definitely pass. But I think he's one of those players that is going to be a better pro than college player. I think his game translates to the NBA very well with the spacing of the NBA. You know, I think he can create his shot easier. He can get his shot off easier. Um, I just... To me, he has that it factor. You and me talk all the time about players that have the it factor. We call it the look. He's got the look. You know, Paolo has the look. I I specifically remember you calling me one day last year. Duke was on ESPN, and you said, hey, I have to say, they just showed Paolo in the huddle during that timeout, and he had the look. And then we came out, and we won that game. I do not remember who it was against, but we came out and won that game. And Paolo played really well at the end of that game. And you specifically called me to tell me that you seen the look in his eye. And just so everyone knows, when we refer to the look, it's it's that intangible. It's that I'm going to take over the game. You're going to know everything I'm going to do, and you still won't be able to stop me kind of look. Yeah, when, when Michael Jordan used to put his hands on his knees and just lift up his head and stare off at whatever, he had the look. When Kobe Bryant would, would bite his bite jersey... His- he had yep. the look, you know, guys, the best players in the world get the look. Even if you watch even Tom Brady on the sideline, if, if he makes a bad play or if they're losing a game in the playoffs, look at his eyes. He has the look, you know, it's, it's not something you can teach. It's not something I don't, I don't think it's something you can even learn. I think it's something you're, you either have or you don't. I think 100%. you're born with it, uh, but let's, uh, let's get to. What I think is going to be the most important part of the draft, four through 10, or I guess four through the rest of the draft, I'm going to be doing the top 10 today. Number four, Sacramento Kings. I have them taking Keegan Murray forward out of Iowa. I know the popular pick here was, is Jaden Ivey, the guard out of I Purdue. Jaden Ivey right there. I yeah, I, and, and, and a lot of people do. Here's why I don't. Jaden Ivey is a popular pick, but he's not going to fit with De'Aaron Fox and Davion Mitchell in that backcourt. They've spent high draft picks on Fox and Mitchell to make those two their backcourt of the future. I don't see a world where Jaden Ivey comes in and 
and fits in with the two of them. I think they have a an opening for a guy like Keegan Murray, 6'8", 225. The comparison is more of a Pascal Siakam, kind of a bigger Otto Porter. So a guy that can attack the rim, play some defense, but also hit a few shots. He averaged 16 and 7 last year, or I'm sorry, in 66 games at Iowa. Over two seasons, he averaged 15.8, seven rebounds, 1.6 blocks, shot 62% from the field, hit 37% of his threes over two years. You know, he's a guy that can shoot. He can, like I said, he can defend a little bit. He's a big, strong body, very dangerous running in transition. And he's a little bit older, turns 22 in August. So he has the maturity that other, you know, some of these other lottery picks don't. And I think he would be a very good third option, third scoring option behind Fox and Sabonis. So if we're talking based on the team, I would agree with that. If we're talking based on spot and talent, I would have to go with Jaden Ivey. His basketball pedigree um, alone would, in my opinion, deserve him of the spot. But I definitely understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just... I envision the Sacramento Kings, you know, if if they draft Jaden Ivey, you have Mitchell, you have Fox. Do you really play Ivey at the three at only 6'4"? You know, I, I there's like I said, there's an opening on that team for Keegan Murray. Fox, Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray slides in at the four, and they just got Demonis Sabonis in the trade from Indiana earlier this year. So, like I said, yes, Jaden Ivey, is the popular pick here. He's the guy talent wise that should go here, but the Kings have an opening at the four. Keegan Murray can slide right in. And let's be honest, the Kings never get it right. Anyways. Yes. They could end up they picking got, Ivy. They got it they right. Just cause it's the Kings. Yeah. I mean, they got it right with deer and Fox, but leave it to the Kings to draft a third guard that they have no room to play. If you want a guy that's well, going to come I in and start and develop, is- saying is the 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 Warriors play small ball it works for them and you know what and and I would not be surprised if they try to take a play out of that book and run three guards honestly six four is not that bad for a three he's going to be undersized but you know he's like I said six four with a six nine wingspan um Jaden Ivey is so he would be able to play that three but Davion Mitchell's only like six foot six one and De'Aaron Fox is about 6'4", so you got three guys in your starting lineup, 6'4 or less. That's It's not a very big lineup, but I would not be surprised if they tried to take a page out of the Warriors book and go that route. But speaking of Jaden Ivey, I do have him going number five to Detroit. I think it's a much better fit for Detroit. Um, Jaden Ivey, like I just said, 6'4", 195 pounds, 6'9", wingspan, 59 games at Purdue, average just under 15 points. rebounds, 2.6 assists, shot 32% for his career at Purdue. Not the greatest three-point shooter, um, but his comp is a John Morant, Russell Westbrook type of player. 100%. I love that comparison. I think John Morant has a nose for getting to the basket, drawing the foul. Um, You're either going to put him on the line or you're going to let him blow by you. One of the two. Yeah, absolutely. He's, He's a guy that's just, he's, Big and strong. Um, he can get to the rim. He's a perfect fit next to Cade Cunningham. Um, he's able to play off the ball, can hit spot-up threes, will be able to create his own shot off the dribble. Might not be a star in year one for the Pistons, but 
I think he's going to develop into a very good player, should develop into a very good player. I think he's a better shooter than Westbrook at this point of his career. I'd agree. Um, not as talented of a playmaker, but let me ask you this. You're the Lakers fan here. Would you take a Russell Westbrook that can shoot better if that meant that his playmaking playmaking ability kind of took a little dip? Well, for what we have right now, uh, absolutely. Well, just um, just think- in in general, what you know, with Russell Westbrook, take out your team aside, but what Russell Westbrook as the as a player, would you take a better shooting Westbrook if that meant his playmaking ability kind of took a little hit? I one hundred percent would because I feel like in today's NBA, it's all about the shooter. Yeah, so I one hundred percent would. Yeah, and that's in my opinion, that's Jaden Ivey. Doesn't really get his teammates involved as much as Westbrook would, but as far as shooting the ball and attacking the rim, he's almost a spitting image. Um, I think he's going to put up numbers similar to Drew Holiday. You know, Drew Holiday's averaged in his prime anywhere from 17, 19, 20 points a game. Um, He's a really good scorer, really good player, and I think he's got that potential. Number six, I'm going to just run through six through 10 here real quick. I'm not going to spend too much time on him, but number six, I have the Indiana Pacers taking Benedict Matherin, the guard forward out of Arizona, Jason Richardson, Mikel Bridges, kind of a Milwaukee Bucks, Ray Allen type, 6'6", 210, can shoot the three. Fun fact with him, 20% of his threes were from 25 feet or more. He hit 39.6% of them, which is higher than his overall percentage on three-pointers. So he does better the further away he is, a la kind of a Steph Curry. Um, but he's a big attacker, can get to the rim. I think he would be very good on the Pacers. You know, they they need some more guys that can come in, attack the rim. But if you tell me that I can get me a Mikel Bridges, Jason Richardson type guy at number six, I'm probably pulling the trigger on that. 100%. 100%. Seventh pick, Portland Trailblazers. I've seen a lot of different names here. One thing that stuck out to me was Damian Lillard put his stamp of approval on Shadon Sharp the guard out of Kentucky or the guard out of high school technically didn't play for Kentucky. So whatever you want to consider him. Um, But I've seen comparisons anywhere from CJ McCollum to Brandon Roy to Paul George. He played very well at the Nike EYBL in high school, rumored to have a 49 inch vertical leap. I've seen a lot of people say that he's a Paul George CJ McCollum hybrid with Anthony Edwards athleticism. Well, here's why I don't think it's too controversial. I think they're going to take it is because they're trying to do anything to keep Damian Lillard happy. Absolutely. And if Damian Lillard, Lillard puts his stamp of approval on a guy, you better take him. stamp of approval, I, I think you can lock that in. Yeah. And if he's on the board, if he's on the board. Yeah, I, I think he will be at seven. I really do. You know, Damo, when we talked to him, he named him one of his top prospects of the draft. So, you know, I've heard that this guy's even got MVP type potential in him just based on his scoring ability. He's the biggest boomer bust prospect in the draft. We'll see what happens. You know, he could be out of the league in two years. He could be an MVP in five years. It's, you know, if he puts it all together, I think he does have the potential five years from now. When we look back and do a redraft, Shadon Sharps possibly, he has that potential to possibly be number one in five years. 100%. Number eight, the New Orleans Pelicans. I have them taking AJ Griffin, guard forward out of Duke, 6'6", seven foot wingspan, had some injury problems with us earlier this year, um, but I've seen the comparison for him, Desmond Bain, kind of a better Robert Covington. He's a three and D prospect, 
I think he's going to be able to create his own shot in the NBA. He's just going to have to work on them handles a little bit, but he's a very good shooter, hit some big shots for us. Like I said, he was injured earlier in the year, got off to a slow start, had an 11-game stretch, which at one point you actually commented, man, that A.J. Griffin's really good. During that 11-game stretch, he averaged 14.4 points, five rebounds, one assist, and shot 51% from three-point range over 11 games. The man's got talent. The Pelicans need shooting. They rank 27th in the NBA in three-point shooting. They need to surround Zion with shooting. Plain and simple. Him and B.I. need shooters. They need to get better in that category. Not many people in this draft better than A.J. Griffin. I, I, I can't disagree with you on that. Number nine, San Antonio Spurs. Usman Dang, forward from the New Zealand Breakers of the Australian League. He's a Kyle Anderson, Andre Karolinko type of player. 6'10", 215. Didn't, you know, his numbers weren't crazy, but again, he was a kid playing in an, you know, in a professional league. Per 36 minutes, though, he was averaging 15.7 points, 5.6 rebounds. Needs to get better in the shooting category. Doesn't shoot the three very well, um, but he's a project wing forward. He can pass. He can score. I think he could be a fringe all-star type player if he improves that three-point shooting. He's going to come into the league used to guarding pros. If he adds size, he should develop into a very good defender. Uh, The Spurs have a history of developing international talent, and so I think this is a really good fit for someone like Dane. Now, do you feel like that history comes from Popovich, who, let's be honest, you know, won't be there? No, I, I think it's I, I think it's that atmosphere, and I think it's that culture in San Antonio that builds that builds these international players. You know, it's certain teams have a history of doing certain things, doing things a certain way, and I think the San Antonio Spurs are that type of team, and they're that organization that they that's their niche. They they develop international talent better than anybody else. Um, I could be wrong. You know, it could be a Greg Popovich thing and we'll have to see what happens with that. But I, I think, I think Dang going to the Spurs to a winning culture. I think that's a good place for somebody like him to develop. And finally, number 10, the Washington wizards. Now real quick, all of these are obviously assuming that none of these picks get traded. Um, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of rumors Excuse me, I've heard a lot of rumors that the New York Knicks are going to trade up into the top 10 to get one of these players. But again, this is all assuming that no trades happen. But number 10, I have the Washington Wizards taking Dyson Daniels, guard from the G League Ignite. He is a Lonzo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton, big, long guard, kind of a Sean Livingston type. He's really good, very good player. 6'7", 195 pounds, 6'10", wingspan. For a guard, that's just outstanding. Averaged in 29 games last year, averaged 11.3 points, 5.9 rebounds, 4.4 assists, two steals, and just about a block a game, all while shooting about 45% from the field. Needs to work on that three-point shot a little bit more, but I think that's going to come in time. The Wizards need backcourt help, and he can fit in with Bradley Beal. You know, Dyson doesn't need the ball in his hands. Bradley Beal's a ball-dominant guard, and he's a big guard that can play multiple positions. He's a good passer. Measurements were very similar to Scotty Barnes, who had a very good year this year, uh, I believe was Rookie of the Year. Um, 6'8", 200 pounds roughly. Um, But like I said, needs to improve his three-point shot. 
but he's going to come in as an elite defender and a very good rebounder, six, seven guard. Like I said, if you can get Alonzo ball or a Sean Livingston at 10 in the draft, you're doing very well. So I think, well, uh, yeah, I think the wizards definitely could use somebody like him. But the one thing I do know about this draft, I don't know exactly how this order is going to turn out tonight. But one thing I can tell you is it's going to be an interesting draft. It's going to be a very exciting draft. I look for a lot of trades to happen tonight. It's been very quiet up until now. Actually, right before we started recording, it was just announced that the Los Angeles Lakers just traded for the 35th overall pick tonight. Um, They acquired that pick from the Orlando Magic for a future second round pick. Yeah, you guys didn't have any picks in this draft, and I think you guys needed to bring somebody in to help you play next year. And I predict that that Lakers pick is going to be an upperclassman. I think you guys are going to grab somebody that has been in college for three or four years and somebody that can step in, has the maturity to play right away. Might not be the most talented player in the draft, but I definitely see you guys picking an upperclassman. That's all I want. Just give me a shooter. Yeah, we, uh, we've been saying that for a while now. Lakers need a shooter. Hopefully you guys can go out and get one in the draft. If you don't, let's hope, uh, let's hope you can get one in free agency. You know, J.J. Redick, I don't think he's wanting to come back and play, but he's, Man. he's still available. Still available. Come on, J.J. We'll use you for a season. <laughs> but that's going to do it for us today, folks. Um, we appreciate everybody listening. Like I said, NBA draft is tonight, 7 o'clock on ESPN. It's going to be fun. I always enjoy it. The top three picks, pretty much know how those are going to turn out, but everything starting at number four, it's kind of up in the air. You know, those are my predictions. That's what I think is going to happen, and uh, we'll see how right I am. I put it in on ESPN and joined one of their groups on there, so hopefully I can win a little win a little money with these predictions too. We'll definitely be talking about the results next week. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, as well as talking about the NHL Stanley Cup Finals. That should be wrapping up hopefully by next week, I believe. Game seven, if necessary, would be before we record next week. So we should be talking about the new Stanley Cup champion next week. That's going to do it for us today. Hope everybody has a great rest of their day, has a great weekend. As always, my name is Jonathan. I'm the Ebony. And my name is Nick, and I'm the Ivory.